You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. It is Jeff Ellis. If you are not familiar with the show, it would be a weird point to jump in in the middle of a two-part episode, part two. But I used to write at Scout, uh, then they got bought by 24-7, and then 24-7 got rid of baseball, and that is when I came to Locked On. So that is uh, why I qualify as an expert in the field. They tell me I have to uh, remind people from time to time what my qualifications are. I've been writing for a better part of a decade. Spent time, lots of time, in the minors, getting to know coaches, players, being around the system, getting to know the Indians. That's uh, essentially my qualifications for this podcast. I want to thank everyone who has recently left a review. Um, I kind of did a call to arms after there was a personal attack in the iTunes review, in my opinion. Um, some very much negativity, and I just said, you know, if you can, leave a review. Uh, next week, I will be doing personal thank yous to everyone who has left a review. So I just want to put that out on Front Street. This is already a long enough episode, and I am blabbering at the start. So... This is part two, me talking with uh, Chris. I know I have not said his last name. I don't want to risk butchering it, but Chris is the host over on Locked On Tigers. Uh, I have tagged him in tweets uh, on Thursday, and I will again on Friday with our conversation. Go check it out. It is a f- Go check him out. He has a lot of great information uh, out there, and enjoy our conversation. It's another long one today. I still have 28 minutes left, so when you chop it up, add in some ad breaks, we're looking at another 30-plus minute part uh, one here. So sit back, listen, enjoy. I had a lot of people tell me they liked hearing from other people. We're going to be doing every single host in the Central is doing this uh, crossover at some point in time. So you're going to get to hear from Nash with the Twins, from Ryan with the Royals, and really haven't interacted with the White Sox, though. They do great numbers over there. Uh, so I'm blanking on his name, so that's my fault, but... Enjoy my second part of my conversation with myself and Chris of Locked On Tigers. Is there a uh, is the disappointment in terms of why the Indians maybe haven't been able to get over the top though they came as close as anybody could in 2016? Is it kind of similar to Detroit in the sense that it's a lot of fingers are being pointed at ownership, or is it just kind of a well, you know, they gave it their best shot type of mentality? I think you know everything gets pointed back to ownership. It's gotten uh, it's gotten toxic. You know, there's no other way around it. And For sure. it's a situation where, uh, you know, it doesn't help. The owner here for Cleveland uh, just needs to keep his mouth shut. Uh, <laughs> two years ago, telling fans to en- just enjoy Frankie Lindor right. or last year when he was talking about like our best fans buy luxury boxes or <laughs> something along yeah. the, it was like, you know, he sets that situation up uh, where as a fan of sports, I appreciate that the Dolans just get out of the way. Mm-hmm. We have seen so much meddling ownership, and uh, it's nice to have an owner gets out of the way. But uh, sometimes it's best if he fades in the wall. And I, I, you know, for Indians fans, really the story that never gets reported, and it just comes down to it, is John Sherman. Uh, Kansas City did more to hurt right. the Indians by the losing a minority owner, and frankly, like. If the Royals don't go up for sale, there's a chance in the next decade John Sherman is the Indians owner. So it's uh, that's it's an interesting situation for the Indians there. Just to go back to the, I mean, interesting, and then we're just seeing 
I mean, right now, according to uh, Spot Rack, at least, you know, I can't pronounce anything. That's kind of one of the running gags on the show. When you're looking at just payroll, I mean, the Indians are currently only beating the Orioles and Pirates. Mm-hmm. The Tigers are outspending them this year. Uh, by a significant margin, but I it's... do well. I do need to say though, the biggest reason for that they Nikki. would be, yeah, they would be in that camp. In fact, I believe they would be second to last, oh. if not for the Miguel Cabrera thank you contract that they handed out six yeah, years it's... ago. But yeah, your point remains the same. There is a big contract on the books for sure. Still, and you know, I, I I'm hoping like like I liked the Grossman deal. Uh, I know I saw some stuff in Cleveland where they were like, "Can you believe this guy? The Indians let go was." Uh, got $5 million. Like it was a way to defend the Indians. Like you can't get free agents in this market. And it's like Grossman's a solid outfielder, like at 5 million, would it have made more sense to spend like 3 million more and get Eddie Rosario? I think so. Yes. Um, I don't know if he just gave the Indians a bit of a discount because it's going to be a chance to contend. But I, I guess my hope with the, with the Tigers is that they will when the time is right. And, you know, you talked about the, the wave of arms. I, the the pirates are you know my my background as a writer was i was a draft writer at, at scout and 24 7 before those uh got rid of baseball or went away and the tigers like i've like alex fieta was my guy i know that hasn't worked out but like i've loved all the arms they have taken uh recently and someday maybe they'll draft a shortstop in the first round uh that, that's always my favorite like my favorite piece of draft trivia in general is they've drafted one one pure shortstop like in the first round of the last 30 years or sorry the last 50 years which is like the quarterback of the the MLB draft and it's so odd to me that they still no shortstops I think like the last technical shortstop was Scott Moore in like 2001 and he was very quickly moved to third base but when I look at the Tigers you hope those arms you have like I think Spencer Turnbull is maybe the most underrated starter in baseball right now. I'm just going to throw that out there. He's got um, a shot. No, I mean, there's look, there's a lot of people within Detroit circles, even going back to two years ago, who said, you know what, he might not have the, he might not be as as polished as a Mize or a Scooball, but there there are those people who believe that within the organization, his stuff is as good as almost anybody. Yeah. So like, if that pitching starts it should all start hitting this year. And then like, sometimes you have to be, you know, more lucky than good. For instance, like, you know, Matt Manning, I don't know if it's true or not. You get so much smoke, but like, I was told that year, the Tigers really liked Tyler Kolick and Matt Manning was the guy they settled for. Now Kolick is essentially out of baseball and Manning right. is one of the top prospects. When you look at that group with Mize Manning, all the guys you talked about. Uh, and then even the lesser guys, like I said, I, I'm not willing to give up on Fiedo. I still think that fastball slider combo means you can be a really good reliever when, mm-hmm when he's healthy, but the, but Joey Wentz and I mean, Alex Lang is imperfect, but there was reasons why people liked him and thought he could be a back end guy. And once all that pitching hits and it should all hit this year, maybe they start actually investing in, in a bit of, you know, with hitters and stuff. That is, is my hope for that organization and that team. Cause I do like a lot of players and plays. I, they they did miss the window on their trades. Not as bad as say the Texas Rangers have, but true, yes. You know, it's it, they have enough pieces. Like Green's far away. Torvalson's probably a year away just for service time manipulation. Yeah, right. uh, a few guys are going to start coming in, but I, my hope for Tigers fans is that starting next year they'll start spending more. And just I look at the team now, and I'm like, they they spent oddly, like I. Maybe I'm crazy, but 
I don't know if I would have given Matt Boyd arbitration or Michael Fulmer arbitration. I, I understand the sunk cost. And if they rebound, maybe you have a trade asset this year, but if they had not given arbitration to either of those players, maybe they could have gotten a nice kind of secondary tier youngish talent. Like again, Eddie Rosario isn't perfect, but he's not that old. You could have maybe gotten him for a, a set amount of years. And that would have, it takes away one of the spots that you need to build from. But I'm like I said, I'm it, after all those years of spending as an Indians fan and being jealous of the tigers, it's odd to see them being for lack of a better word, just so passive uh, even as like, like, I feel, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but as a, a Tigers person, isn't this like this year is supposed to be like the ascent year, right? If we're looking at like a bell yes. type of curve, this is the mm-hmm. first season of moving up. So I would hope that you, you reach out there and find someone maybe who's at the right age, give yourself a little bit more of an opportunity. Um, again, I, I like the Grossman signing relative to everything else, but it, it just struck me as odd to... No. It, everything they did just seemed to be more of like, well, you know, Nomar Mazaria has never hit, but if he hits this year, we can flip him for something. It just felt like a very um, flea market approach to free agency for lack of a better word. Well, no, you're, you're completely right. And, and you know, before we dive into the ad read here, I do want to comment and say there were some problems, some technical difficulties um, with some of the recording, some internet cutting in and out. So I'm just going to apologize now. If there's a part or two where you notice that, uh, it just kind of happened. And now let's take that quick break for our sponsors. If you listened to yesterday's show, I read the Bet Online odds for baseball. They are one of our big sponsors. They have invested a lot in the network and in our shows in general. And remember that when you go to Bet Online, when you start account, when you use that promo code locked on, you get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. They're not just sports, they're reality TV, they're awards, they're all over the place. Talked about that they had like most home runs and we went through some of the awards. And I think if you are someone who knows gambling, I, I am not that person. I don't know what all the plus hundreds or thousands mean and how that balances. But if this is your thing, go check out betonline.ag today. Use that promo code locked on, get the 50% welcome bonus. I can tell you looking at some of those lines, there were some that if I knew more, I feel like were opportunities to make money. So go check it out for yourself. Betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on. Talked about it all week. Go check out lock on, lock. Ugh, go check out locked on today. One of our newest podcasts, hosted by Peter Bukowski. Your daily bit of news in all things sports. Locked on today. Check it out. I I think I mean, everyone wants to see them go out and spend the way they did when Dombrowski was here. And I, my response to that is I, I'm not I'm not even huge on that. Like yes, I think you should target uh hot ba- you know more top and top tier talent. I do. But one of the reasons why they got into such this in this awful predicament was because they threw all caution to the wind and they way overspent on Jordan Zimmerman and he did nothing. They way overspent on Victor Martinez. And in three of those four years, he did nothing. They way overspent on Miggy who admittedly at the time was the best player in baseball, but the length of that deal has been an absolute killer for them. No, I mean, I think that what what frustrates fans right now, because I agree with you completely, and I'm glad to see that people from other fan bases are acknowledging this too, is that it, they people view this as kind of the ascension year. That, that's a good way to put it. The comparison that always goes on around here, and it's a fair comparison, was that in 2003, the Tigers completely bottomed out. They lost 119 games, I believe it was. Maybe it was 118. Essentially the worst baseball team of all time. If you want to throw the expansion Mets in there, fine. But they were unspeakably awful. 
three years later, they were in the World Series. And what everyone always points to is the fact that they didn't make it all they didn't make it back all in all at once. It wasn't like they had one huge splurge and all of a sudden they were good into in that off season, they signed Pudge Rodriguez to a, a multi-year deal. And he was a huge piece of that team for the next several years. They traded for Carlos Guillen. They brought in Placido Polanco. I believe the next season, the next, the, in 2000, after 2004, they signed Maglio Ordonez after 05, they got Kenny Rogers and they brought back Todd Jones. And it was like over those three years, they, they put together a core. And of course, with the draft with Zamaya and Verlander and Granderson, they put together a core that was capable of, of consistently competing for penance year in and year out. I think the frustration right now is that we're in year five, essentially of this rebuild and the signings are still where they were post 2017. It's the same one, two year deals for guys, small, you know, small budget, cheap signings. Like you brought up the Eddie Rosario point. And it's like, I think especially in this year when you had COVID and teams losing money and you had so many good players, non-tendered, you know, it would have been very easy if the Tigers would have spent, as you said, $3 million more dollars. They could have revamped their outfield with an Eddie Rosario or with a, 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 a Kyle Schwarber or a Jock Peterson or a David Dahl. Instead, they kind of go with guys that have lower ceilings, essentially. And it makes it's made the whole process uh, incredibly frustrating because th- there is talent here. No one's going to act like there isn't, but you, you're you have to surround you have to surround that core with a lot more than that. You know, it is those those two three year deals, those guys that you get that you bring in for several seasons who turn out to be something. That's the difference between winning a division or or you know uh, missing the postseason. I wanted to just ask real quick about just some in some Cleveland Indians memories because you know those they in 2018 the last three years they've been very good, but I, I the two chances that they had to. And kind of break the streak. In my opinion, we're 16 and 17. And not to bring up bad memories, but if you're you're welcome to bring up as many as you want, because I have plenty as a tie. Which loss hurt more? Was it the game seven loss in 16 or the losing those three straight to the Yankees in 17? Ooh. I mean, I think you have to say it's that weirdly, I think the Yankees hurt more. Yeah. Cause the the thing about that World Series game is that team was so beat up. Right. And were we up 3-1? I feel like we were up 3-1. You know, it's like I should it's know. Been t- it's been talked about, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, it's 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 also the um, the karma of after Cleveland making the three all the 3-1 jokes about beating the Warriors. I feel like they were up 3-1. Uh, and then we we managed to, to, we, I shouldn't say, I should never say we, they managed to lose that series. But like in that game, they were down early. They came back, um, all of that type of stuff to the point where like it stunk. But like I was I was never fully I kept waiting for it to happen. (laughs) As terrible as that to say, they were just not uh, that whole game. It never felt like they were in control. And then uh, when you put Michael Martinez out there, I'm. Yeah, no, I, I can jump. I can, I can jump in real quick. No, I'm with you completely because people it's weird. Cause the tigers lost the world series in 06 in 2012. And yet my response in terms of the most painful tigers loss ever was 2013. The, the grand slam to big poppy, you know, off of Joaquin Benoit. Cause they had the best team in baseball that year. They had one of the greatest rotations ever. 
They had Miggy having his best offensive season, a loaded offense, probably the most talented team in the history of the organization. In a 16, I mean, you, you took the words out of my mouth, man. I mean, that team, to get where they were was a miracle in and of itself. I mean, if you would have told me before that playoff started, before those playoffs started, that a team with no Salazar, who was an all-star that year, no Carrasco, who was excellent that season, and a rotation of Kluber, who was great, Tomlin and Bauer, but it was Bauer before Bauer really became yeah. Bauer. It was when he was inconsistent said, version. Right. I just said this, this team's got this team's got no shot. And to in the Cubs, in fairness, again, it came down to the wire, were front to back the best team in baseball that year from day one. I mean, that was like that was that one of those years where it's like, man, if the Cubs don't win the World Series this year, they might never do it because this team is stacked. The next year in 17, you know, the Astros were great. Obviously, you know, <laughs> all, all jokes aside, the Dodgers were had an amazing year but stumbled in September, and you had a, a Cleveland team that was just rolling. And they, they especially after they won game two of that series. And, and Kluber, who was so dominant all year, pitched, you know, he was injured but didn't pitch well at all. They came back to win that game. It felt like it was an Astros Indians collision course uh, for the ALCS that year. And, and they obviously came up short. So no, I, I understand that completely, I guess lastly, because there's, again, there, there's a lot of similarities between these organizations right now. I think that both of them have had a, a, a at different points, some wonderful seasons that they have strung off and, and some, some, some great teams and some great players, but it, whether or not the Indians are hitting the reset button is, is, beside the point really it is fair to say that the core of that 2016 run is gone i believe i who i believe only roberto perez i think remains from that team that made the world series in 2016 uh jose ramirez too or jose J, i yes. forgot about jay so you got yeah. the, you got those two but i think that's it i think everybody else is is gone now i guess my question my, my this will be my last question here is that kind of if you want to throw in the 2013 run too sure that kind of runs 13 to 2020. How will Indians fans view that era? Like over, over time, is it going to be viewed as something that was an incredibly exciting time or will it kind of like with Tigers fans be a run that was, Hey man, it was great, but there's always going to be that, but at the end of every sentence, knowing they didn't quite get over the top. And now time for another little quick break and a message from our sponsors. I hope not. Uh, just because when you get down to it, like the Indians as an organization have been around forever and they've been by and large terrible. Um, yeah. You know, I've talked to some other uh, Detroit writers through the years. And it's like when you go back to some of those great Detroit Tigers teams in like the 60s, it was thanks to the Indians, you know, giving them Norm Cash uh, for Derek Dietrich's grandfather. And, and you know, just read right. trivia. But yeah. You know, it's like the Indians just managed to make all the wrong moves for so long. And when you look at this era, um, I mean, honestly, the only re the only time the Indians won a World Series in modern era is thanks to integration. Because they integrated first and they went right. heavy and they went and they added top end talent that other teams weren't willing to. And it's I mean, I think that's a karma, a bit of karma reward. Uh, you could also argue on the other side of karma was the last time they won a world series was the year that chief Wahoo was 
introduced and then after <laughs> that since then it's like they introduced wahoo they win a world series and then we've had everything since but i don't want to say the words get rid of integration but if you look past where they had that year were baseball with larry doby and they got satchel page and so many other players that really put them ahead of everyone else that era is obviously the best in team history because they had a and i don't know if i can even call it an unfair advantage but it's like they had a built-in advantage because they were willing to be progressive and, you know, that's something I'll always be proud of as a Cleveland sports fan, that they integrated the American League first, integrated at manager first, and the football team integrated first. It's like one of the great things I can always say as a fan of the city is the progressive history. But in terms of like other eras, then you have like the 1920s with Tris Speaker when the Indians got the best player in baseball because Boston was too cheap. And then your only other eras really of success are the 90s this bubble here and like the two, three peak years when you had like Grady Sizemore, Victor Martinez, Travis Hafner and CC Sabathia. So honestly, one can make a case that this run is right up there with the nineties now was pitching instead of hitting, which makes it a lot less sexy, which means the fans don't enjoy it quite as much. But I, I think one can make a strong case. This is the third best run of years in franchise history. No, I, and I, I agree with that completely. And, and it's, it's weird how, over time, fans have differing views of eras because I would say three years ago, if you were to ask me about the Tigers run 2006 to, I guess 2014 was the last year they made the, the playoffs, but just 16 was the last year they were actually competitive. I'd have been, I just said, you know what? It was a failure. They, they had great players and they always came up short. And they lost in the postseason every year, but time has passed. It's been several seasons and I've, ceiling of 90 losses and you go back and you you think about those those weeks in the summer those days in the summer where it was like all right man we're in the pen we're in a pennant chase we're one game up and verlander's going game one or for you guys to be kluber's going game one and there is something so exciting about that chase and i think as fans in general and i'm guilty of this as anybody i i think we the the idea of it's championship or bust is such a it's such an odd prism to view things under because especially in baseball, when you have so many amazing moments, you have so many games and opportunities for something incredible. You can have a team that loses 105 games, but if a guy throws a no hitter, that is a moment in that season that you remember forever. Uh, I think that run again. And, and I think that I do believe the Cleveland Indians are in good hands right now. I still believe that it's as disappointing as I'm sure it is with the trading of Lindor. We didn't even really uh, discuss that. I, I guess the reason for it, and if you, if you want to jump in here, you can. I I understand the frustration. I completely do. In an ideal world, with with ownership that was you know a a, a little bit more more thrifty, I guess. Um, you know, he'd be he'd be with the Indians long term. As far as the return, and maybe maybe we're in disagreement here. We are in an age of baseball where players don't get traded anymore contracts do and Francisco Lindor even with the quote-unquote down year that he had in a 60 game season which I don't put much stock into uh, is still to the Mets a one-year rental now do I think with Steve Cohen at the helm they'll sign him a uh, long term I I think they probably will or at least they're going to make a heck of an attempt to a lot of it depends on how he performs this year probably 
but I wasn't like, I understood the return. I also understood fans frustration because you're trading away one of the best players you've ever had and you don't get back any kind of huge prospects. But yeah, I guess I forgot to bring that up. My my last question to you will be, what were your, what was your initial thoughts on the return itself? Did you kind of fall in line with, with other people and being as, as frustrated as, as the fan base seemed to be? I have been championing a Lindor to the Mets trade since, um, 2019 uh i just always like the depth there i actually wanted it to occur last off season uh i really wanted dom smith and that's the player i had my heart had been set on for the past year unfortunately he played too well and played himself out of that discussion uh, especially because indians have such a gaping hole at first base so if it didn't involve dom smith as i had about a year of pushing a, a lindor the match trade i was going to be disappointed uh i understood why jd davis wasn't in there and that's defense and they have a similar player i think in their mind with nolan jones mm-hmm. uh if everything works right he should be somewhat similar uh i think i was a little unfair with andres jimenez now i've seen some people get hyperbolic on his upside i think you know the the one i put out there and i saw other people do is it could be like a an, a plus version of jose iglesias and that's valuable i mean when yeah. you as a tigers fan you guys have had him for a while and you just know the trying to find just a shortstop of his level and that difficulty. Uh, Rosario is a lotto ticket. I just wasn't as big on the secondary prospects. That's, that's where it came down for me. Um, Josh Wolf, just, I know some people really like him and I understand for the Indians, he's the perfect type of guy for them to get in and monkey with. But like, I see a, a reliever uh, likely there and Isaiah green, he was an underslot guy in the second round. I understand the offensive talent, but there's a reason why you're underslot in round two, why you're willing to take an underslot deal that early. And the Indians in the third round came back and gave someone twice as much as Isaiah green. So like green to me, wasn't even a, isn't one of the Indians top 20 prospects like for Lindor. They got a good replacement for five years, maybe six, depending if they mess with service time. For me, it was more that like, I, like if if you gotten those four for Lindor, I'm good. I just felt like when you add in Carrasco with the way the pitching market is, there yeah, should have been uh, a little bit more. And I, I mean, I defended the Clevenger deal. I thought that was a strong deal. I know most people didn't like that one, but this is the one where I'm just like, I felt like there was just a little bit more room. Like there should have been a little bit more wiggle. And I understand 20 million, they ate a ton of salary. And that's exactly what you said. It's not about a player. It's a contract. It's one year, 19 million. And Grasco is like two years, 26 million, which I, in my opinion is uh, a bargain with based on like Mike Miner's contract this off season as a comparison point. But uh, for the Indians to, I just, it, it also just shows, I think baseball that they trade those two guys and they get four interesting players, but they probably netted more overall for Clevenger than they did for Carrasco and Lindor. So here's the thing. We honestly have about another six minutes left. When I'm already looking at the show's length and factoring everything in, we're going to call it a show. Uh, that We're going to have a part three of that conversation on Monday, likely in the third segment. Go over some news, go over some games, anything that's come up over the last four. And then our third segment will be the last bit of that interview because we just have so much of it. Uh, I'm, again, thankful to everyone out there who's listening, rating and reviewing, downloading daily. It is uh, fantastic. Our numbers so far for this month are up by like 100 downloads per episode. That's not just, I know someone out there could be like, 
well, you're doing it five days a week. A hundred more uh, isn't that many, but honestly, the downloads are up like over closer to 150 an episode. So thank you to all the new listeners out there. Very much appreciate it. I hope you are enjoying the content. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Indians podcast. And for the next year, at least, go Tribe.